All right, guys, welcome to another episode on the podcast. Have myself, Brian Gold, my co-host, Squints, my good friend, McCon, who introduced me to Mr. Andrew Bustamante. You've been a big fan of his for a while, and you're like, you got to message this guy. So I messaged <laughs> you, and happy to have you on, Andrew, and appreciate you coming out and making it work. Yeah, man, no, I'm super pumped to be here. I think you guys put out some really awesome content, and the kind of conversations that you have here are the kind of conversations I live for. So I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks, bro, we appreciate you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I'm a former CIA intelligence officer. Uh, I own the company Everyday Spy. Uh, it's a digital company. And from that platform, we teach unfair advantages to everyday people and to corporate executives that pull directly from skills that I learned at CIA in the universe of espionage and spycraft, et cetera. It's really cool. I mean, obviously, it's been romanticized so much in, uh, you know, entertainment and in our, you know, uh, all, all the content and things I like to watch are kind of based around that type of that type of stuff. So we're stoked to have the real deal sitting here with us and kind of, you know, compare notes and see yeah, where well, we go. You say it now, but I'm telling you right now, like the real deal spying is super boring yeah. because it has to be. This is this yeah. is why media gets it wrong, because real espionage is covert. You don't want to be made. Yeah. Covert means nobody knows it's happening. Yeah. Like, you know, you're successful when you go in, get the secrets and get out and nobody ever knows that you were there. You know how, you know how fucking boring a James Bond movie would be if he just went in, did the thing, got out and nobody ever knew it Their would be sales would be zero. Yeah. It'd be like watching. It'd be like, I don't even know what it would be like watching. It'd be like watching the paint dry. It'd be horrible. What made you go down uh, the avenue of being a CIA agent? I was invited actually. So, I was a military officer with the U.S. Air Force. Uh, that's what my college degree and my college experience was all funded by the U.S. military. Uh, I was awarded a, uh, a scholarship to the Air Force Academy. And then I was not a good fit for the military, as you can see. If mm -hmm. you can't see, yeah. get on YouTube where you can see. Yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't a good fit for the military. And then when I went to leave the military, I was actually applying to go into uh, the Peace Corps, which is like much more my speed. Right. It was like saving children. Yeah. Wearing like patchouli and not not washing. I was all for that. And I got a tap on the shoulder from CIA, essentially, that said, hey, if you're thinking about that career, have you considered this career? Because the parallels between Peace Corps service and you know foreign intelligence are very, very strong correlations. And I would have never guessed that until I would have never guessed that. until you I need a reason to be on the ground type of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, well, so the, the Peace Corps is all about high risk situations with no recognition in foreign environments where you're going to be uncomfortable. That's exactly what foreign intelligence is all about, too, right? High risk situations in foreign environments where you're going to be uncomfortable and get no recognition. So what is important, though, is that the U.S. federal government, because it supports both programs, it can never have the two overlap. So once you do one, whether it's Peace Corps or CIA, you can't cross over. You can't ever do the other. Oh, interesting. Because that makes it so that the two bleed together. And the one thing that that the federal government for sure doesn't want is true blue volunteers arrested on espionage charges in foreign countries. Yeah. So they can like they can defend that in an international court as long as they have documented proof that they don't cross pollinate. Happy you chose the CIA rep. You know, it's it's one of those things that's easy to say in hindsight because I've had an amazing career and a pretty amazing life. And now I run like running a successful business is probably the biggest high in the world. Yeah, it is. Right. It really is. So I've been blessed beyond all explanation. But I still do wonder, like, how different would it have been 
what what like maybe I would have like ridden a hippopotamus or some shit. Who knows what would have happened <laughs> if I would have tried to save children in Mali, right? Yeah. But all I know is what I know, and and it's been pretty awesome. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your business platform because it is a it is a high to be successful or have something to be excited about to wake up to every day. Yeah, so my company is called Everyday Spy. It's a digital company primarily. And what I when I say it's a digital company, what that means is the entry point for our customer base is digital. Uh -huh. People don't find us in the yellow pages. You don't find us by somebody knocking on your door. You're not gonna go to a store and see us, right? We exist in the internet. Uh, and I built the platform not because I wanted to be a digital entrepreneur. It was because I literally only knew espionage like yeah. that's cia hires you when you're so young and so kind of uh malleable that you don't really know you're not an expert in anything you're not an expert in anything except being a dumb shit. that's who they recruit really yeah because they they need people who are basically like too dumb to quit and not smart enough to ask why mm. that's what makes a good spy right so that they can say we're going to send you into this hellhole and you're going to do something illegal and all they want you to say is Sweet, let's go. <laughs> the only person who says that is the person who's too dumb to quit and not yeah. smart enough to ask why, right? And you've also mentioned in previous that the t right candidate is also someone that's slightly as a child, because I, I do remember you said there's three segments when you're growing up that forms your character. Correct. And the ones that have a small traumatic effect, Correct. but not too traumatic where you have, you become alcohol dependent, right? but just enough. Can you talk about that? Yeah. What you're talking about is just childhood trauma. And this goes beyond just espionage. This is applicable in all fields of business, right? Essentially what we're talking about is people who are high performers, high performers rule the world. They're the, they're the professional athletes. They're the successful billionaires. They're the people who run businesses. They're the ones who become, you know, C-suite executives. That is your, that's a high performer. CIA also recruits high performers, but the difference between them and corporate America is that CIA understands what to look for in a person before they become a success. And that magic element, that secret sauce that they have that so few other people realize is that high performance is tied to childhood trauma. And that's empirical evidence. There's studies out there that show it. It's there's an actual chemical change in your brain during your formative childhood years that make it so that you are essentially committed, like addicted to seeking approval and validation. Mm -hmm. If you don't have childhood trauma, you don't have that chemical addiction. Like if your parents love you and everybody's there for you and life is easy, you actually feel like I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to make anybody happy. But when you don't have that, right, when dad doesn't pay attention to you because he's addicted to work or when, you know, mom has too many kids and she has to, you know, you're stuck getting whatever attention you can get because she's taking care of three other kids at the same time. Or when you have, you know, a, sp a parent that dies at a young age or when you have divorce when you're a child, like these things cause like, we, like what you were mentioning, the exact right combination of childhood trauma events that program into your young cognitive mind this need for validation and constant approval that explains a lot right so once you see <laughs> it but once you see it you realize how it applies to you it's a dopamine sensor it's it's knowing that you have to yep. get the attention and go above and beyond to to be rewarded basically correct and that becomes a predictable trainable 
like uh, element within your psyche. Yeah. Whereas if somebody doesn't have childhood trauma or to your point, if they have too much trauma, when people have too much trauma, they've been sexually abused when they were kids. Um, maybe they were like violently kidnapped or something like that. When they have too much trauma, it actually ends up souring the amygdala, which is your fight or flight response in your brain. It creates a, essentially PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then your brain doesn't work in a neurologically normal way. And then you turn to coping mechanisms to offset what your brain doesn't do. That's where your drug addicts come from and your sex addicts come from and your, opi your opioid uh, addicts come from. People create addictions to offset what their brain doesn't naturally do. So it really is about finding that perfect cocktail. CIA knows how to recruit people who have that perfect cocktail. If you could create that cocktail, for your for kids <laughs> that would create superstars yeah but that's what's that's, at it's, the same time what we're saying there yeah is we have to traumatize kids yeah it, <laughs> it's bad yeah but <laughs> there's no, i don't mean i don't mean no, yeah i don't mean no, i don't mean that at all but okay, i'm just yeah. saying that that secret sauce somehow kind of carry that into another way where you can I guess, have the same results without the traumatic event. Or or you don't even ever try to create the results. Instead, you try to f source places where it's already happening. Because mm -hmm. we're, we're, as parents, we want to coddle our kids yep. and work hard enough to to make weak humans, basically, right? We, make, we try to make their life easier. Yeah, and in turn, it makes it harder on them later. What because do they say? They say that uh, that great men make weak men you know, great men make great times, great times make weak men, weak men make weak times, hard times, yep. and hard times make great men, right? Exactly. And it's kind of that like vicious cycle, the cycle of that thing. So yeah, but yeah finding a balance is obviously key. That's interesting, though, that they know. And like, how are they, I guess, finding that? So what they look for is they they look for people who are in that sweet spot of like 25 to 35. That's the range that they usually recruit from. They recruit from the military. They recruit from corporate America. They recruit from all over, like every dimension. Oh, so there's no specific. But what they're looking for is a history of indicators, right? So you can usually you can see high performers because they are high achievers in their GPA. They're high achievers in athletics. They're high achievers in you know the universities that they go to, the jobs that they hold. Like when you find somebody who uh, who goes to business school to study marketing and then they enter like a, a mid-sized marketing company that's not your high achiever your high achiever is the person who comes from a rural school in missouri somehow got a scholarship to play soccer at a school in utah and then goes on to study you know marketing and then takes a, a high-paying firm a high-paying job in a new york firm that's the person who's worked their ass off yeah. Why would that one person work their ass off in essentially the exact same field as somebody else who's not working their ass off? They got something to prove. They got a chip on their shoulder. They have childhood trauma. What about your background made them give you the nod or or? Uh... So there are a couple things. So first, I, I'm I mean, I'm ambiguously brown from rural Pennsylvania. OK, so yeah. right away. Life was not normal for me, mm -hmm. right? Like. Most people got laid before they were 18. Like I, I lost my uh, virginity when I was 21. Okay. I joined the military straight out of high school. So when CIA, CIA and military have a very close relationship, mm -hmm. my entire adult life was documented in military records. Every piss test, every push up, every ounce of weight gained, like it was all documented there. 
So they could literally watch how I changed from the time I was 18 and joining the military to the time I was 27 and leaving the military. It was all documented right there, right? Plus I went to a, I went to the scholarship I got was to the Air Force Academy, which is a challenging school to get into. And I went from a predominantly white state to get there. So there was, you, know, you could see these kind of elements along the way. Now my college GPA was not good, but I was a college athlete. So, and I had high achievement, but it wasn't academic achievement. So I think there were these elements that were kind of indicators along the way that I had the kind of trauma they were looking for. And I, for sure, have the trauma they're looking for. My father died before I was born. My stepdad and I had a tumultuous relationship. Like I'm always, I have always been trying to prove myself to my mom until CIA basically taught me I was trying to prove myself to my mom. And then I was like, all right, mom, you're on your own. Yeah. Right. Like I had all the indicators. I just didn't know it until they taught us how to see it in other people. And then it's one of those like, oh, like head slapping, oh shit moments. Kind of like what you had a few seconds ago. Yeah, I'm like, like oh, <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> what type of um, like course material and things do you guys provide for the the everyday spy or the the business-minded person that wants to, you know, employ some of these tactics in their their repertoire or focused in their lane. Yeah. So a, a big part of the knowledge base that we teach is first to get a foundation in how espionage applies to everyday life. So one of the things, again, we were talking earlier about how media doesn't get spying right. One of the things that media doesn't get right is that the most dangerous part of being a spy has nothing to do with guns or cars or foreign militaries, right? It has everything to do with everyday life. When you sign the wrong signature on a receipt, it's like that's a traceable piece of documentation that could be the end of your career. That could put you in jail somewhere, right? If you say you're a name when you're actually an alias, like when you when you use the wrong phone in the wrong country at the wrong time, like these are all these are little everyday things that people don't even realize. Like how many text messages do you send a day? A lot. A lot. We actually have to keep track of what text message are we sending at what time on what phone from what location to who, right? To make sure that everything is like, like. Do you store that separated? mentally or are you writing this all down? We can't write it down because then there's evidence. Oh shit, so you got it. Right, so there's, there's an element here of behavioral practice and there's an element of routine and repetition and, and discipline, right? That's what goes into living spy life in everyday terms. So it's like you're an actor and you're staying in character the whole time. That, and that's the strongest parallel that they use during our training sequence, is that we are very, very similar to actors. The main difference though, is that, again, I, I'm not an actor, but what we were taught is that actors generally are trained to become the character. Like, emotionally connect with the character, remember things that would have happened in the character's life, so you can emote the character. We are taught to compartmentalize our true identity, but always know that that is who we truly are. Mm -hmm. So we can still live and act like a character, but never actually believe we are the character because we have to compartmentalize the information, we have to compartmentalize the experiences, and we have to be able to bring it all back and report it later on. So to your, to your point, the things that we teach first and foremost are how you can understand espionage concepts and espionage terms through an everyday lens. Once you have that kind of foundation, which doesn't take long to learn. I mean, you've, you've seen this. We've done this through podcast interviews. We've done it through our own podcast. We've done it through YouTube channels. We've done it through our own YouTube channel. 
and email newsletters and free eBooks and you know PDF files. Once you get people started and they take that first step, then it, like lights turn on. Mm -hmm. In the unfair advantage that spies have over everyday people, the psychological advantage that we have, the mindset advantage that we have, the the discipline and motivational advantage that we have, it becomes accessible to the everyday person, and then they're hooked. Especially if they've had any dose of the of the same childhood trauma that drives us, because you learn how to shortcut the system. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and I think that uh, it's important that we we touch on this not being a negative thing, right? This is a very empowering thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, it could be used for good or bad, obviously, in any in any way, you know, but having a psychological advantage or a way of of empowering yourself to control a outcome that you want to get. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily have to be a uh, a uh, manipulative uh, thing. You know what I mean? It can be used to to empower you in business or everyday life. Right. So one of the one of the kind of core lessons that that I teach people now it wasn't a lesson that CIA taught me. CIA very much taught us about manipulation. Yes. That, that's the mission. The mission is to manipulate. When I got out and I started teaching these skills to other people, and to, especially to some really intelligent corporate executive types, what I was running into was this hurdle where people, people associate unfair opportunity with bad or evil. Like that's just, it's something that we're all kind of taught as kids like it's not fair if it's not fair it's not right yeah. and that's what what I had to kind of learn to explain to folks is that manipulation and motivation are two sides of the same coin right the coin has value one side is head one side is tails one side is motivation one side is manipulation but it's the same fucking coin right all the same tools that you use to manipulate somebody are the same tools that you use to motivate somebody. The difference is what you do with the currency, right? When you, when you get people to do what you want them to do because it's in your best interest, that's manipulation. When you get people to do what you want them to do because it's in their best interest, that's motivation, yeah. right? What's fascinating is that the impact is the same for both. The value is the same for both, but that's exactly right. That's that was my own aha moment that only business can teach you, right? Only yeah. business can teach you your own why. Mm -hmm. And that in was business, my why. Crush it. You're a God, right? Yeah. And in the, life, and if you're manipulating your spouse, then you're, uh, yeah. <laughs> basically right. Narcissist, sociopath. We get all of these, these psychological terms thrown at us that exactly. we don't have the same type of feelings as everybody else type of deal, right? Yeah, and one of the things that CI absolutely drilled into us early on in our training is that we are doing the same thing that bad guys do, right? Yes. Espionage is illegal in every country. Like spies are illegal everywhere. The only reason CIA spies inside the United States, people like me who, who are serving for CIA, committing acts of espionage, the only reason that we are not culpable under US law is because we have a carve out in legal definitions that says that if you are conducting acts of espionage sanctioned by the US government in support of national security, then you're not liable for committing espionage inside the United States, right? Kind of like some of the pirates that were flying different, different flags, right? Yeah. Captain Cook flying under a Dutch or an English flag had the right to pillage and do whatever he wanted to other ships. 
Yep, because as long as he was that. That's an excellent. He was unhoused. Yeah, an or excellent flying example. A, a other flag is different, right? And and this is you're talking about privateers. Privateers, yeah. Privateers. People yeah. don't realize pirates are actually privateers, yeah. and privateers are businessmen. Yeah. Right. Who are serving a mutual purpose, mm -hmm. the right side of that coin. But CIA taught us like, hey, you're doing the same stuff bad guys do. But here's the deal: if you don't do it, the only people doing it are them. Are the bad guys, and you'll never beat them if you don't learn to play their game better than they do. So that's exactly what we teach people to do. We teach people to play the same game bad guys play even better than the bad guy. What's an example of something to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that? What's an example of something, obviously no names, but of yeah. someone that you've trained or you've uh, explained that process a little bit further? Yeah, so we have, uh, so if you think about it at, a, at the most basic level, let's just take something that like anybody can relate to. We all hate shitty scammy salespeople yeah. we all hate them right we make jokes about the shoe salesman and the used car salesman and the insurance salesman what's really happening if we like break it down is that somebody with advanced sales techniques is using their skill set to convince you to buy something that is a product not in your best interest what is that the definition of Used car salesman. Manipulation. Yeah. It's <laughs> car <Yeah. laughs> No offense to used but car yes. salesman. I mean, that's kind of touching on what you were saying. The, exactly. the, the image of what people have is kind of scummy sales. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we can actually teach people, and we do, we teach people how to identify when those sales tactics are being used on them. So that instead of falling into the cadence of the tactic, which works, and it works very effectively, you're essentially having a, a self-made tripwire so that when the act starts to happen, a big red flag goes up where you're like, oh, I know what's happening here. Yeah. And then like the curtain kind of comes down and you see it for what it is. And then you have to be able to see it for what it is in order to counter it. So everybody knows about intelligence and intelligence officers. Very few people really understand what counterintelligence is. Counterintelligence and counterintelligence officers are people who go head to head against trained intelligence officers. Sort of like a salesman that's a really, really good salesman. And you can see exactly the line of questioning that they're asking you to kind of lead you to where they want you to go. And you're answering in a different direction to kind of lead them to a different area. If they're trying to close you on price, you're, yep. you're changing the conversation because you want a lower price, for example. You, you touch on different points to trick them to think that price is not a motivation, something else is a motivation to kind of well, get your, to what you want. Correct, and, and the example that you're specifically using is negotiation. And negotiation is much closer to interrogation than sales, right? So if you think about it, in a negotiation, you have someone who's always in control, you have people who have different outcomes that they're trying to achieve, and you have to negotiate an outcome that's mutually acceptable to both of you. In the espionage world, mutually acceptable really means you're not getting your fucking outcome. Yeah. So we don't believe in compromise, right? We believe in zero dominance, yeah. dominance or collaboration, zero sum or positive sum, but never negative sum and never zero sum when we're the ones losing. So everything we do is towards a zero sum outcome, which means somebody wins and somebody loses and we fucking win or a net positive sum game, which means everybody wins. Your interests are aligned. Correct. Yeah. So to your point, when you see a, a bad salesman in motion and you can prevent them from closing you on a bad car, a bad mortgage, 
you know, a bad lease, a bad deal, you win. They lose, zero sum, we're all good. Or if you see a scammy salesman doing scammy salesman stuff, but you know the asset is real, then you know how to turn on the right, the right um, tools to negotiate down the price, change the terms of the contract, take control of it, they get the sale, you get the asset, positive sum game. Did you get to travel to some cool places during your time in the CIA? Yeah, so that's the, in my opinion, the, the two sweetest deals about working for CIA are that you get to always be one step ahead of basically everybody else, everybody else except your peers, right? And you get to travel on somebody else's dime all over the world. And, and I guess like as like an addendum to the travel one, you're also usually traveling as somebody other than yourself. So you have like a built-in get out of jail free card. You're like, I can be an asshole. I can be cool. I can be whoever I, you want to be. Whoever yeah. I want to be. So you said one step ahead of everybody else. What did you mean by that? So you see the world for what it is. So let me let me give you an example, right? When you travel to a foreign country in alias, who does the whole world think you are? Whoever you tell them. Who are you really? You. But only you know that. That's a position that we call information superiority. In the intelligence world, the game is information superiority. In the military world, you're looking for air superiority and littoral superiority and ground superiority and in intel superiority. In the intel world, you're the, the covert intel world, you're looking for information superiority because the person with the superior information always has the superior advantage. So just as simple as knowing that your name is Andy, but being somewhere under the name Gus gives you an informational advantage over everybody else. Now you layer onto that and you know, you know, Gus has a credit card and that credit card is backed by a covert account that has an unlimited credit fund and like now anything you want is basically yours to get. It's kind of difficult if you really think about how espionage is now versus how it was 30, 40 years ago before social media, because now you have to have a complete online profile that matches your persona. Or more realistically, a no online profile, right? No is a little bit suspicious. How how does no profile become suspicious? Well, because why don't you have why don't you have well see those are the ones you question. Why don't you have well, an online profile? Government well, exactly my point. What brand but exactly my like, point. There's a reason why you don't have anything. But who's but who's just, like you're specifically talking about friends of yours who you are close to. Correct. Not and, strangers on the street. You meet a stranger on the street who has no profile? That's not suspicious to you. It's not suspicious until you start looking into their profile. Correct. But if they've yeah. done their job right, they're gone before you even suspect them. Got it. Right? So instead, you're just basically, a, you're a shadow. You're a ghost. You're just an internet ghost as well as a physical ghost. What's the longest you've stayed in any region? Two years. That's a long two, time. Two and a half years. Yeah, that is a long time. So if you have friends, mm -hmm. that alias has made friends, it's really that challenging. That doesn't make friends. Oh, okay. That's the thing. It's a very lonely existence because you, you, you don't make be friends. You've got to as possible, right? You've got to be, right? Because the only way that you maintain the informational advantage is if you're controlling the flow of information. As soon as I'm interesting to you or to you and we become friends and you start... It's over. It's over because yeah. now I, don't, I can't control the information you're looking up on me. Yeah. But as long as we're just acquaintances and I'm not interesting to you, I can control your level of interest. How do you date? You don't. When you yeah. when you date, you don't date an alias. Got it. Yeah. And what's nice is that because CIA is located in Washington, D.C., like everybody's transient there. Got it. I ended up getting lucky 
like <laughs> that's what she said <laughs> i ended up getting lucky because my wife was also at cia with me she was also in the national clandestine service with me so we had matching covers we had matching everything and, gotcha. and we, we we when we met and we started dating we were not in similar like operational capacities so there was no conflict of interest but we both understood very very transparently like oh you're going you're going on a mission you'll Rules be gone six weeks i'll yeah. see you in six weeks right like there's no phone calls there's no nothing but you also don't have to worry about anybody cheating because they're not making friends they're not getting laid plus she <laughs> works for the cia so <laughs> like good luck trying to cheat yeah exactly right <laughs> you'll find it yeah we a drone overhead where's andy right now <laughs> um it does make uh, obviously emotional attachment and and is a very big uh, a very big no no in your business obviously right it is and that goes back to another reason why they like to source people who have childhood trauma because most people with childhood trauma also have a natural uh, reluctance to have personal relationships meaningful personal relationships yeah right they they avoid them they reject them they kind of stay away from them so is it introverts that really kind of fit that profile or or no so what's really interesting is you that's a more advanced question because you have to define what a introvert or an extrovert really is right most people think an introvert is just somebody who's like shy and quiet that's not really what an introvert is introvert means people derive new energy from within from being alone yeah from having time away right extroverts derive energy from other people from being in public yeah. right that doesn't necessarily mean that extroverts want relationships and introverts don't you know it's it's totally normal for an introvert to seek a deep relationship and for an extrovert to seek shallow relationships right it has to do with where their energy source comes from that's what defines an introvert versus an extrovert but to your point you can you can hire both kinds introverts and extroverts both make excellent spies for different reasons a lot of times what they look for is somebody who's uh, if you look at introverts and extroverts they're not black and white it's a spectrum and where you land on that spectrum can change a little bit over time, but it largely like lands somewhere in the middle. You like being around people, but when you but sometimes you need your time alone. You like your time alone, but sometimes you crave people, right? So we're all on this spectrum. So spies are all over the spectrum, but the difference is it's the trauma, it's that background in failed relationships, because mom let you down, dad let you down, somebody died, whatever else it might be. That background is what makes it so that you are predictably a lone wolf you're predictably distant and you can be relied upon to not build relationships outside of relationships that are strategic 